So I want to start by telling you a little story. Something happened a few years ago. I was talking with a young friend who was obsessed with a singer and desperately wanted to get to know this person. I'm thinking, well, hey, the San Diego's music scene's not very big. I'm like, come on, have you met her? And she goes, no. I'm like, why not? I don't know. Come on, how hard could it be, right? I'm like, well, come on, you could do stuff to meet her. You know, you could, it's not that hard. And she goes, well, I've tried to friend her. I've written to her. I've even entered some contests to try to get to see her. And I'm thinking, contests? Um, who is this? And she goes, Taylor Swift. I was like, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> um, what's the issue, right? The issue, like she desperately wants to have this relationship with Taylor Swift, right? Wants to spend time with her, wants to find out what she's thinking, how she's feeling. Well, so do a hundred million other people, right? They want to have this relationship with Taylor Swift. And so what's the problem? The problem is access, right? She has no access to Taylor Swift, I mean, how amazing would it be if she could pull out her phone and text or call and actually get a response, right? To entertain, like to, just to be able to talk and to spend time. And, um, but she doesn't have access. And as I think about that, I think if we're honest, so many people today, their relationship with God is like this girl's relationship to Taylor Swift. Um, there's no access they feel like there's God out there, but I can't get any FaceTime, right? I've heard things about God, but it doesn't seem like God has time for me personally. Um, and, and this is the issue that the Apostle Paul addresses in the passage that we're going to look at today. Um, he's speaking to those who feel like they have no access to God. And so we're going to read Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, and today we're going to focus specifically on verse 2. Next week we're going to look at verse 1. And so it's in your bulletins up on the screens. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So when we believe in Jesus, you might not know this. This is an announcement that is coming to us in verse two. When we believe in Jesus, verse two says, we have obtained access to God. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna to talk about access. And this is incredibly important because so many people feel far away from God. They feel separated from God. But Jesus solves that problem. This was incredible news back when it was written, because people back then, just like now, back then they felt like they didn't feel, they didn't feel close to God. If you ask people about what their access to God was like, they would have used words to describe their relationship with him like restricted, at arm's length, uh, limited. And hear me, even God's chosen people would have said this. Um, and what's amazing here, and it highlights, again, the work of Jesus, is that God's love by itself could not fix this. Okay? God's love by itself can't fix the separation problem that we have. What do I mean by that? Well, think about it. Out of love, God came in the Old Testament to come be with his people. 
And when God came, there were these incredible barriers, okay? The first barrier was sort of the cultural or national barrier, right? God was in Israel, okay? He was in the promised land. And so if you weren't in Israel, you had no access to God. But secondly, there was a priestly barrier. In God's efforts to move into the neighborhood, God had to build these barriers, right? This is a picture of the tabernacle. And this is where God lived. This was God's house, right? And outside God's house, there was this courtyard that was created. And out of all of the people in Israel, only one family could enter in through those white into that courtyard area. Only one family could actually go into the tent of meeting, which is what that little structure was called. And so you've got one family that could go in. Only the priests were allowed to go into the courtyard or into the tent of meeting itself. But then inside the tent, there was a third barrier. Inside the tent was a veil, a curtain, Um. And this is a huge veil, and it concealed the throne room of God. Okay, so behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant, which was the throne of God. God sat and reigned as king above the Ark of the Covenant. That was his throne uh, where he sat. And out of all of the priests who could go into the tent, right, into this tent of meeting, only one person in the entire nation could actually pass through the curtain and get into the presence of God. Okay, that was the high priest. And that high priest could only go into that place one day a year. And he had to be super clean, super holy, super pure, or he would have been destroyed in the presence of God. And so even when God came in love to live with his people, they didn't have access. So even the chosen people of God, God loved his people and he lived with them, but he wasn't accessible to them. Why? Why? Well, there's one thing. There's one thing that separates us from God. There's one thing that creates barriers between us and God. And that's our sin. That's our sin. So I want to talk for a little bit about sin. And and the reason I want to talk about sin is because oftentimes when you hear the word sin, that that word gets misused and misunderstood significantly in our day and age. A lot of times you hear people talk about sin and what they're talking about is they want to make you feel bad. They want to make you feel guilty. They want to manipulate you. They want to get you to do whatever they think that you ought to do to make whatever you've done in sin right again. And so um, that's not how the Bible talks about sin, okay? Um, Sin is not just breaking rules in the Bible, okay? Sin is, actually think about this, sin is us telling God that we don't want him or his rules, okay? In the Bible, that's what sin is. All of the rules that God has, all of his laws, all of his commands, all of the instruction of God is a reflection of who God is, okay? Every law, every commandment, every bit of instruction um, exists to reflect who God is and what God is like, how God thinks and how God feels about situations. And so I want to talk about one example, 
Okay, I want to talk about God's instruction, God's rules, his commandments about sex. Okay, um, sex in the Bible is God's wonderfully pleasurable and creative gift to marriage. Okay, sex in the Bible is also, it's, it's the physical expression of the ultimate commitment between two people for life. All right, sex is part of the access that you earn after you've made the ultimate commitment to give your life to someone else. All right, this is God's design for sex. And all sex that's outside of that marriage commitment is against God's design. Okay, now you may not like that, um, but realize that to reject God's instruction about sex is to reject God himself. Okay, you're saying that God, look, in this area of my life, I don't want to follow you. I don't really want what you want. I want to do things a little bit differently. Okay, um, normally what happens is we don't say, especially in the church, this happens quite a bit, um, and we become radically hypocritical. Um, we say, well, God, no, no, I want you. I want your love, I want your power, I want your presence, I want to feel like I'm close to you, I want your wisdom, I want you to teach me, I want you to bless my work, I want you to do all these things, but in this area of my life, in the area of my sexuality, I don't want what you want. So are we cool? Can I like push this away and still get all this other stuff, right? This tends to be how we are. And what's awful is that anybody who does that to God in any area of your life, for you to then turn around and judge someone else because they don't like what God wants is grossly hypocritical. Like as a church, we need to hear this. And one of the biggest complaints that people who are against the church have are Christians that have selective application of the truth, right? Like if you're going to complain about homosexuality, then are you going to get on anybody in your church for having you know, heterosex outside of marriage? Are you going to say anything to people who get divorced without cause? Are you going to do anything about any of these other sexual sins that happen in the straight world? Or are you just going to harp on the homosexual community? And if they were to say that, they would be right. right? That is hypocrisy having one standard for yourself and another standard for everyone else. Um, and so it's important for us to realize that we can't play God a la carte. Okay, you either get all of God or you get none of God. You either accept God for who he is and you bow your knee to honor him or you are rejecting him. Like to reject him in one area is basically to say, God, I know better than you or... God, I just want this more than I want you. And to say that means that you're putting something else before God in your life. And so that thing becomes God to you. Uh, and again, I'm not saying that you like this, but I mean, there's areas of my life where I don't like this. I mean, there are, I mean I've literally, like I have to wrestle, God, oh, I hate that I like this and I like this more than I like you. And oh God, I know what you say and it's really clear to me, but I'm a broken man. Like, and it's like, am I going to bow the knee to God or not? Am I going to agree with him or not? 
And this is so important for us, especially in this area of sexuality, because the culture has a radically different view and an incredibly compelling voice. Um, In so much of our culture, sex is completely divorced from the commitment that God requires to have the access of sex. And when you separate sex from commitment, this poisons humanity because we become obsessed with sex and sexual pleasure. And what happens is we begin to objectify other people because we can be sexually stimulated by them without having to be committed to them. And we enter into relationships to get rather than to love and to give. Um, In this way, we can have all kinds of sexual partners, even if they're virtual partners, where our only contact with them is through our eyes. Um, Caleb mentioned his porn addiction in his testimony. And so many men and women struggle with porn. It becomes slavery. And it further poisons us because lusting after people in our minds, again, it destroys us with a cocktail of three different kinds of poison. Um, we objectify people in porn. Two, we get pleasure with no commitment. Um, But then third, we actually change our sexual orientation with pornography. We change our sexual orientation because we train ourselves to want multiple partners rather than to be monogamously committed to the one person that we've made that life commitment to. And so stepping back, like I want you to just to step back and realize that God doesn't make rules arbitrarily. Okay, God is not up there trying to think, how can I make this life miserable enough for people so that they have to prove that they're willing to work hard and suffer to follow me? Like that's not where God's laws come from. Okay, God doesn't try to make it difficult so that we'll prove our commitment by following his arbitrary rules. No, when we see the why underneath the what of what, his, of what he says, we see that his ways aren't just right, but they're good. Okay, to break away from God's instruction isn't just wrong, but it's bad for human flourishing. Okay, there's a version of yourself that is God's design for you, for you to flourish and for you to be the, the whole and best and most life-giving version of yourself. And that person comes from following God's instruction. That person comes from walking in God's ways. And so all of this helps you understand how sin is us pushing God out of our lives. Okay? Um, If you don't like his ways or his wisdom, we don't, you know, so you don't like him. And it's kind of like we're sort of taking God in a way that, I mean, to, to, Picture this seems so ridiculous if you have an understanding of who God is. But it's like we're saying, look, God, thanks for being here. Appreciate your time with me. I'm going to, can I just show you the door? And then you close the door and it's like, I'll come see you later maybe, you know, and because I I really want to do something else. Um, That's what happens when we sin. And you might not think about that. You might not think that that's what you're doing when you sin. There are times when I have consciously thought that, much to my shame um, and to the, I mean, even to the terror of my heart that I would do that to God. 
um, that I would push him out of my life consciously. Um, but even when you're not consciously doing that, I want you to see, can you see now how if we don't follow God's ways, we are fundamentally pushing him out. We're excluding him from being a part of our life. And this isn't just about sex, right? We do this with anger, with selfishness, with cheating or stealing from work, with lying. I mean, these are ways that we push God out. And then we wonder why we don't have access to God. Like we wonder why we don't experience this sense of God's presence near us. Um, So there's really three different ways that we can respond to God. Like there's three responses to God's ways. Um, Let me just give them to you as a way that you can sort of self-diagnose how you're doing. Um, First is you can agree and and follow them. Um, Second, you can disregard them and do what you want. Uh, We've talked about these things. The way of Jesus, though, there's a third way. And that third way is to follow them with repentance and faith. Okay, this is the call of Jesus. And, And so this means saying, God, I believe that you're right, but there are times when I'm overcome by other desires. Um, There are times when I don't want you and I'm sorry. Um, Please forgive me. Romans 5.2 says that when we follow God in this third way, we get access. When we follow God, the things, that, the barriers that are put up by our sin are taken away. And Romans 5 makes it clear that this happens through Jesus, right? Verse 2 says, through him, through Jesus Christ. Um, it's faith. Repentance and faith means turning the direction of our lives toward following God and trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection for our forgiveness. Okay. In the Gospel of Mark, there's this moment in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus actually dies on the cross. And in that moment, if it was a movie, like the scene cuts from the cross uh, just for a moment and it shows us the temple where God dwells. In Mark uh, 15, verses 37 and 38, it says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. So this is the death of Jesus. And the curtain of the temple. And it's like, wait, wait, hold on, what? The, the, the temple is over there on the other part of Jerusalem. Like it's miles away from where Jesus was. And yet the camera pans and it zooms in to the curtain of the temple, that curtain that separated even the priests from the throne room of God. It says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So it's from top to bottom. This means this was a tall curtain, like 15 feet high. And so it was torn by God himself from heaven to earth. And so this means that through the death of Jesus, we have access to God. Through him, we have obtained access. Not just, we're not just brought into God's land. We're not just brought into the patio outside of God's house. We're not even just brought into the house, but we're brought into the very throne room of God so that we now come face to to face with God himself. You who once were far off have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. And no matter how far away you have been, no matter how far away you are, 
Jesus died so that you could draw near. This is good news. The love of God that brought him to earth is consummated in the death of God for your sins and mine so that we can have unbarriered access into the presence of God. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. Um, Yesterday I was at our Presbytery meeting and I heard a Chinese pastor in our denomination talking about a Buddhist um, that he knew who was watching a group of Christians praying. They had circled up and were just praying about something. And when they finished, this Buddhist sort of looked on and, and this is what he said. He said, I am amazed that you have access to your God anytime and anywhere. I never have that. And so access to God is a glorious thing. I hope you're encouraged and reminded that you have it. But we need to ask the question, don't we? We need to ask the question, why don't we feel this access to God? Right? Why don't we feel this? Um, I'm going to give you three reasons. Um, One that we've already talked about, and then two more that I think are going to help you to rethink what access is so that you'll see how it applies to you. And so the first reason we don't feel access to God is sin. Um, because we sin and we escort him out of our lives, okay? We've talked about this already. We've either left God or we've asked God to leave. And I just want to emphasize here that the fact that Christians do this, okay? I do this in my life. If you're a Christian, you do this in your life. Unless if you don't, come talk to me. I want to learn your secret. Um, The fact that Christians do this means that we should be the most humble people on earth, having been given this kind of privileged access to God, this kind of blessing for us to respond to this kind of a gift from God and sin against him and push him out of our lives, we are no better than anyone. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they've done. For us to look this in the face and to have this in our bank account, right? To have this kind of access, to disregard it and act like it's worthless, means that we are no better than anyone. So we should be the most humble people on earth. If you are ever shocked and appalled by someone else's sin, it might be, the only legitimate reason might be that you're just not familiar that human beings could do evil in that kind of way. So that's legitimate. But you should never ever think that you're not as bad as anybody else. Um because this is even worse, right? To have this kind of gift and then to neglect it or to disregard it. Um, So sin is a reason we don't feel access to God. Um, It's not the only reason. Second, expectations uh, are a reason. We miss what access actually looks like. Okay, this verse says that we have access. So why doesn't that feel like the most amazing thing ever? Um, You have God's power. You have his love You can have his wisdom whenever you want. You can know exactly how God thinks and feels about anything. You can know how God thinks and feels about you. And yet it doesn't feel like you have access. It's because I don't think you understand what it means to have access to God. You don't know what it looks like. Um, And so we're going to talk about what it actually looks like in just a second, but we've got to combine it with the third reason that we don't feel access. 
So hold on. So third, the third reason that we don't feel access to God is neglect. Bottom line, we don't spend time in the presence of God. And not spending time in the presence of God will make you, guess what, feel like he's far from you. So, what can we do about this? If we have access but don't feel access, how can we experience access to God, right? This is the $64,000 question. This is for all the marbles. Um, this is, all right, Stephen, what am I going to do this week, right? Don't, I mean, I want access. Don't you want to feel like you have access to God? How do we get that? Three ways. I'm going to give them all to you at once, then I'm going to talk about it sort of like all together. There's three ways that we can feel access to God. Talk to him. Listen to him. And do it in community. Listen. Talk to him in community. Listen to him in community. So what does this mean? Well, this means that Jesus has purchased for you an access into the presence of God. So go to him all the time. Right now, God, you're with us. We're in your presence. Thank you. Huh. That's interesting, right? Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, realize you have access to God. Talk to him. God, it's early. God, I don't feel like I got enough sleep last night. God, it's a new day. God, I'm going to work. God, I'm going to face this today. God, I'm thankful I can talk to you. God, thank you that I'm not alone. God, thank you that you hear me. Um, As you walk into your workplace, maybe it's the kitchen, maybe it's in the office, um, God, be with me today. God, help me to love people the way that you love me today. Right? Talk to him. Talk to him all the time. Like in every moment of the day, you can, there's a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And you can do that. You can do that because what the Bible says is that we have access into his presence. We have access into his grace, which means his favor. And so when God looks at us, he looks at us with favor. And so when you come into God's presence, he has a smile on his face. He's happy to see you. Go talk to him. Talk to him all the time. Don't make prayer just this thing that's kind of you like sit down and you do it, you get all quiet and then like, you know, you pray about everything you could possibly think of and then you look at your watch and it's been three minutes, you know? Like, I get that, I've done that. Um, But talk to him all the time. Pray believing that he's listening because you have access, even if it doesn't feel like anything, for you to engage in the practice of prayer, for you to talk to God, it will change you. You will have a sense that God is with you, okay? Um, and talking isn't always like talking to him isn't always like praying your own thoughts or your own words to him. Um, music can express your feelings to God. Sometimes music does a better job telling God how we think and feel than what we can come up with on our own. So sing to God, put music in, um, find songs that reflect your heart. The Psalms are a whole book of the Bible that have prayers. Some of, most of them are to God, not all of them, but most of them are to God. There are prayers in the Bible that can give words to your soul and your heart to speak to God. Um, and so you want to do this on your own and then do it with other people. Like listen to other people pray. Pray with other people. 
um, for me anyways, there's something really special about praying with other people that doesn't always happen when I pray by myself. Um, I'm not sure what that is. I think it's partly because I'm a heavily relational kind of person. But when I'm praying with other people, something cool happens that doesn't happen when I'm by myself. Um, I was talking to my brother this week and, um, and we've been encouraging each other, talking about some things and praying for each other at the end. And he's Roman Catholic. And, um, and his relationship with God is very different from mine. His relationship with God is really oriented around the mass and around just having a general sense of God's commands and him just, he's doing his best to try to love God by doing what God wants and making God happy. And, um, and it's exciting because he has a really wonderful relationship with God. It's just very different from mine. And usually when we're done talking, I say, hey, can I pray? And he says, sure. And so I pray out loud because that's what Protestant Christians do. We pray out loud. Catholics don't do that, um, at least not unless they're all saying the same thing together. Um, and, uh, and, so the, uh, and so and this time, I was like, hey, Mike, would you pray for me? I said, I, I know praying out loud is not like necessarily your thing, but would you be open to doing that? And he goes, oh, yeah, okay, I, I think I can do that. <laughs> I'm like, great, thanks. And so he prayed for me, and his prayer sounds so different from mine. You know, it's it's not as well, like, oiled as mine is because I pray a lot more out loud, and obviously in front of people, too, as a pastor. He's not a pastor. Um, but his prayer was, was wonderful, and his prayer reflected elements and aspects of God that, don't normally come into my own heart and mind when I think about God. Um, and he prayed for me and I was like, man. And I just thanked him when we were done. And he was like, sure, cool. Yeah, no problem. And, um, and again, like for me, talking to God took on this added, extra added dimension because I did it in community. Um, you know, this happens in our life groups. This happens in families. This happens with friends talk to God and do it with people because in that, when you talk, and sometimes you don't always feel this way, but there are moments in your prayers when you're going to feel like, whoa, we were in the presence of God. And that's access. That's, that's what access looks like. It's kind of exciting, although, well, it's exciting because we don't have to go to the temple to worship we don't have to go to the temple and be excluded from God's presence because we can only get so far, right? We actually have access now into the presence of God anytime, anywhere. You can talk and he wants to hear. And as you talk to him about how you're feeling, you can write. I mean, there's lots of ways to do this. There's lots of ways that people, based on your personality, your style, your whatever, you're, you, know, um, you can talk to God. And if you do it in community, you will experience access to God. All right, then you got to listen, okay? Talking will only get you so far. When you talk to God, your sense of God sometimes, well, if all you do is talk to God, your sense of who God is will never grow in terms of its breadth, okay? Listen, if, you talk, if all you do is talk to God, then what you know about God will go deeper and will apply to more and more areas of your life. But if you don't listen to God, then God will 
really be limited to what you know. The joy of listening to God is that God reveals himself to us. God has spoken to us. He's spoken to us in the Bible. Like this is God telling us who he is, what he's like, how he thinks and feels about all kinds of things. And God has gifted this book to us. He inspired human beings to write it in a way that reflects human authorship, in a way that reflects human artistry. And yet in it, God reveals what he's like. You can know who God is. You can learn about what God is like and what God has done and what God continues to do in people's lives, in the world out there, in the world in here by reading and knowing and studying and mastering and giving yourself to this book. Um, And I know it's hard to read. I I totally understand that it's difficult to read. I've been reading this for 28 years now. No, good grief, for 28 years. Um, That's a long time. And there are parts of it that still frustrate me, that still confuse me. There's things about God in here that I don't really understand and make me uncomfortable. Um, And so I understand the hesitation that we have. I know what it's like to read and then to be finished and go, I have no idea what I just read. I mean, I get it. It happens to me too. Um, This is one of the reasons why we want to read the Bible and we want to listen to God in community. Okay, we want to devote ourselves to this book and we want to devote ourselves to this book in community. If there are things about the Bible you don't understand or things about God you don't understand, guess what? He's given you a family. He's given you brothers and sisters in this church who you can go to and say, I don't understand this. Can you help me? Or what do you know about this? Or I read this in the Bible and it freaks me out. How do you understand this? Or how does this make sense? Um, Listening to God is so important for us because God is literally telling us, this is who I am, this is what I'm like, this is what I've done for you. And we want to devote ourselves to this. God in his infinite wisdom has also, there's an element of um, like training that God has given us. Um, Sometimes I think access to God should mean that I could get on the phone with God, ask God whatever question I have, and God will directly answer the question that I have. Because come on, isn't that what access is? If he was in a throne room and I could go into his throne room, hey God, so I've got these two people and this is what they're saying, will you tell me how to solve their problem? You know, and God should say, oh, well, yeah, he's lying, she's not, or she's whacked in this way and he's messed up over here, and so say this. Like, to me, that's what access to God That's what I wish access to God was a lot, you know? Um, And that's not what access to God is. Um, There is an element of access to God that I think is intentional. The reason that we have a book and not an open line to heaven, I think is because God knows. And God knows that in order for us to become the mature wise, strong people that he wants to fill the world with, there are elements of you're going to have to work to figure this out. Like the answer to the question that's on your mind right now actually 
is going to require you to understand five different strains of biblical teaching and then to bring them together in a way that is uh, like, maybe we could redeem the phrase 50 shades of gray, right? The amount of gray that comes when you try to apply the Bible's teaching to the circumstances of life are part of what God is trying to get all of us to become. And so there are times when God says, the answer to your question is buried underneath sometimes an hour of Bible study, sometimes a year of studying the Bible. Sometimes the answer to the question that you're looking for is 12 years six relationships abuse because God is saying I want you to become a man or a woman who can actually embody my presence in this situation and you're not going to be able to fully reflect me unless you put in the work to spend time with me by studying, um, by wrestling through the confusion and the struggle and the pain and the anguish and the misery because then you're going to meet me and you're going to see what it's like for me to suffer with a world that is so radically broken, to suffer in a world that I love so much and am waiting so often for people to be willing to let go of their sin and embrace me and my ways. And I need you to experience some of that so that you can be my presence in this situation. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish we could read a verse and pray and all our problems would go away. But the world that we live in is so broken and we as people are so broken that it takes time for God to work his presence in and to shape us to be the kind of people that can even see him sometimes. And so in the meantime, like to get there, we got we to gotta talk to God and we got to tell him that we hate it. We got to tell him that it's too long. We got to tell him it's too much. We got to tell him we can't go through this again. And we've got to listen to him. We've got to listen to a God who has been infinitely patient for generations and generations, who has suffered in ways that we just don't understand because we think he's God and he's above all this and he's not. God is more affected by the pain of the world than we are. And we need to do it in community because you're going to get to the end of your rope. You're not going to have enough strength to go on and you're going to need somebody else to come alongside you and say, hey, let me pray for you. Hey, let me remind you. This is access to God. We get access. See, here's the problem is that we think the God that we have access to is the God who is 
delightedly cheery where everything goes right for him all the time. But when God reveals himself in Jesus, what we see actually is that the God of the universe is the God who personally is radically broken over the sin of the world and is giving everything he possibly can to make it right. And when we get access to that God, he has this way of making us like him. Um, And it's a journey. It's a journey. Um, And I hope that in the midst of my descriptions of this, that what you're hearing is God saying to you what he said to Caleb. Like, I've been with you this whole time. I am with you. I am weeping with you. I am frustrated right next to you. I am in pain with you. And I'm also, I know what, I know the future. I know ultimately where this is going. I know that I'm going to make all things right. Um, I know you don't know what this life is going to entail. Um, but I want you to know that you're not alone and I have been with you and I am with you and I will continue to be with you because you have access. Let's pray together. Father, we, we wouldn't think that heaven would look like this. And yet we see that when heaven comes to earth and it's here, that it brings with it the pain and the anguish and the hardship and the toil. And God, we, we just want to f- freshly lay our expectations down. We want to humble ourselves before you. We want to tell you we don't understand. We want to tell you that it hurts. But we also want to listen. And so please speak to us, Jesus. Speak to us through your word, through others in the church family. Speak to us in the midst of our circumstances. Help us to increasingly know you so that we would see you in all of life. Thank you that you're with us in the joys and in the pain. And I pray, Jesus, that for all of us who are suffering, that for the Christians and for the folks who aren't Christian, that we would all find in you someone we can trust and someone to follow. To draw near to us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.